But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, that is, while it was your own, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the spirit. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, bound him up, tied him out, buried him. About the space of three hours afterwards, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door. Carry thee out. And she fell down straightway at his feet, yielded up the Spirit. The young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. Great fear came upon all the church, as upon as many as heard these things. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Acts chapter 5, we see disciplinary action being exercised. Two members had lied to Peter and to the Holy Spirit. Now, it's evident from the scripture that Satan had a major hand in this since he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, this was a matter apparently concerning a real estate sale, which was fine, but their donation was presented as being the full price and value when it was not. We hear Peter declare that it was the Holy Spirit as God who was lied to, not just man. The result of the discipline of God in this instance fostered deep respect and a fear among all the people, so much so that they didn't want to even be near them. However, more believers were being added to the Lord. Note what Luke writes, these here were added to the Lord rather than to the church. Here's Dr. Mitchell on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. We're starting now in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. And I sincerely hope that you, friends who are listening in day by day, are reading your Bible, and especially these first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. As I've been saying right along, the book of Acts is a really a 
much misunderstood book. And until you get the full scope of what the Spirit of God is trying to give to us, you're going to miss some very, very important things. Now, in chapters 2, 3, and 4, we've been dealing with, with the message of God through the Apostle Peter to Israel. In chapter 2, chapter 3, we had two messages to the nation Israel. And then in chapter 4, he gives a message to the leaders of Israel. And when we come to chapter 5, you're going to have the fourth time that Peter speaks. Fourth time he accuses them of being in the opposite camp to God. He accuses them of, of killing the Prince of Life. And when we come to this fifth chapter, in the first 11 verses, we have discipline in the early church. You mean to say, sir, that the early church needed discipline? After all we've been saying about the early church in those first two, two or three chapters, that they needed discipline. We were discussing how they grew, how it, how it commenced, first of all, how it grew, multiplied, and the love they had one for the other. Now, do you mean to say that they needed discipline? Well, I would say this, if they needed it, we sure need it today. Now, let's look at the score. At the end of chapter 4, <clears throat> you remember, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and great grace was upon them all. And they shared their possessions. And this man Barnabas, whose name means son of consolation, uh, he had land and he sold it. He brought the money, the whole business, and laid it down at the apostles' feet. That was a wonderful, wonderful illustration of the love, the bond that he had toward these other Christians. Wonderful thing to know something of the oneness of God's people, one to another, that we've been joined with our eternal bond, an eternal union. You know, sometimes I think if we, it'd be a wonderful thing when we get to heaven, we're all going to be enjoying the Savior so much and enjoying each other. Why in the world don't we start and do that down here? First of all, make Christ the very center of your affection and devotion. And when you're in love with the Savior, then you'll begin to think about his people. And remember what the apostle says later on, love covers a multitude of sin. So instead of judging and criticizing and damning everybody, we'll begin to manifest something of the love of the Savior for them. Now here's a situation in the early church. I'm reading from chapter 5 of the book of Acts. Remember the background. Barnabas and others had land, they sold it, they had everything in common. They had a wonderful display of love and affection, the one for the other. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now notice what he did. He had a piece of property, he sold it, and he brought some of the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, that is, while it was your own, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in thy heart? That was not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the spirit, 
and great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, carried him out, buried him. About the space of three hours afterwards, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, Peter answered her, Tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? She said, Yes, for so much. And Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, so carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, yielded up the spirit. The young men came in, found her dead, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, upon as many as heard these things. I want just one or two things here that I want to suggest to your thinking. First of all, may I say, it seems like a very severe judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira. And here you have discipline in the early church. You see, they wanted to appear like Barnabas at the end of chapter 4. But the difference was this. Barnabas sold his property and brought all that he got out of it and brought the whole thing to the apostles' faith. He didn't have to, he didn't have to bring a penny just because he loved the people of God. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, when they saw this, they went out and they sold their property. But they came with a part of it, intimating to Peter and the apostles that was what they got for the land. Now, they didn't have to give a penny to the apostles. They didn't have to put a penny down. They could have kept the whole business. But what they did, they deceived the apostles. And the Spirit of God in Peter perceived this. You see, you can't hide things from God. You know that. As I said, they could have, they could have kept it all. They didn't have to give anything. And they deceived the apostles, and the Spirit of God made it known. You know, it's rather an amazing thing. When Israel came into the land of Palestine, I'm quoting from the book of Joshua, chapter 7, uh, the thing that came out was covetousness. There was sin in the camp. And every, at every appearance, shall I say, every revelation of the character of God, there's always a question of judgment brought up. For example, at the giving of the law, you remember there were 3,000 slain because of disobedience that was stiff-necked. Then later on, uh, a man where God, first of all, had warned them against the presumptuous sin of taking the word of God, the law of God which they had given, and treating it very, very lightly, and especially the question of the Sabbath day. And you find this, you remember, in the book of Numbers, chapter 15. A young fellow went out, was found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, what should we do with them? And God says, take them out and stone him. Now, there are a great many people since, uh, since Mount Sinai, 1,500 years B.C., though many, many Jews have broken the Sabbath since then that were not taken out and stoned. There are many people since, say, since the resurrection of Christ and the starting of the Church of Christ, there are a great many believers who have done things just as, just as bad as, as this man Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, but have not come under the judgment of God, apparently. I repeat the statement. When God gives a fresh revelation of his person, of his character, of his heart to men, 
it's holy, it's righteous. And when one turns their back and manifests their disobedience to God, then the result is judgment. God wants men to know what kind of a character he has. He's holy, he's righteous. Now, let's keep it clear in mind. Ananias, Sapphira, didn't have to give a penny of it. They came with deception, with deceit, and their sin was against God, against a holy God. And the amazing thing was that the judgment was physical death. Could I just stop here a minute? If you come to your New Testament, you'll find whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he chastens, and he scourgeth every son whom he receives. you find this in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses, about verses 7 to 11, 8 to 11. God is bound in his very love for his own people. He's bound to chasten them. And it's possible, it's possible that a believer can die prematurely. Here's one right here. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias of fire for a moral issue. The judgment is physical death. For example, you come to Corinthians chapter 5. There's another moral issue in the Corinthian church. This had to do with immorality. What was the result? Physical death, that his soul might be saved at the coming of the Lord. Same thing in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, when we are not discerning the Lord's body at the Lord's table, we read, For this cause many are weak, many sickly among you, and many sleep. You have the same thing in 1 John chapter 5. There's a sin unto death, and I do not say that you'll pray for it possible for a Christian to die under the chastening hand of God. Now, when you come to 1 Timothy, you find where, where you know, two men, Hymenes and Philetus, who are given over, destruction for, given over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that they might learn not to blaspheme. And here was a doctrinal issue. They had said the resurrection was past already. Uh, I want you to mark this, at every fresh revelation of God, you've got the holy, righteous character of God revealed. And the result is those who, who deliberately sin against God at that time come under the judgment of God. Why, we ought to thank the Lord for his patience with us today. How many times have you and I failed God? And how gracious God has been to us, how patient, how long-suffering. How tender, how understanding he is. You see, failing, weak Christians need the grace of God. But when we become stiff-necked, stubborn, want our own way, then there's nothing left but chastisement from God, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if you do not receive chastening, then the chances are you're not a child of God. My mother never chastened the neighbor's children. She took it out on us kids because she loved us. So does our Heavenly Father. What I want to get to your heart is that there's such a thing as death, physical death, coming as a chastening from the chastening hand of God on his people. Could I say this? There are three reasons for death. One can die because our work is finished on earth, just like 
both Peter and Paul speaks of this. You remember, Peter spoke of the time it come for the putting off of his tabernacle, as the Lord had revealed it unto him. You find that in Second Peter chapter 1. And then you have Paul saying in Second Timothy chapter 4, about 6 to 8, The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see, he's ready to leave. He's finished his job. So there's such a thing as a Christian leaving this world and going home to God because his work is finished. And then a Christian can die for the glory of God. I think this is true with Peter and Paul. You remember in the 21st chapter of John's Gospel, where the Lord spoke about Peter, signifying, he said, when you get to be old, they're going to take you where you don't know, where you, where you don't want to go. This, he said, signifying by what death he should glorify God. So there's such a thing as a person dying for the glory of God. Think, for example, of martyrs. They died for the glory of God. Sometimes we have missionaries die for the glory of God. And then, and then a Christian can die under the chastening hand of God. That's why I give you these passages. In Acts chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Corinthians chapter 11, 1 John chapter 5, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, and so on. So you have here, the result of this was great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. In other words, it brought them to the realization that their God was not only full of grace and truth, but he was also a holy righteous God. God making himself known to his people in his character, and he wanted them as his children to live as the children of God. Now, starting at verse 12 and running through verse 42, we have opposition in the early church. Not only do we have discipline in the early church, but we have opposition to the early church. Now, the reason for it is verses 12 to 16. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, no man durst join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and of women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds, couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. I want you to mark that, just like in our Lord's day. I want you to keep these things before you. Our Lord's miracles were the, his credentials as to his messiahship, as to his person that he was the Son of God. His credentials were handed over to his apostles, to his disciples, and they carried on before Israel the same thing. You remember, the Jews required a sign, and so on. So you have here where the Lord manifested his power, not only in disciplining his people, but in taking care of those who were sick. Mark the contrast. In the first 11 verses, you have the discipline of God upon his children because of, of deceit. But now he turns around and manifests his compassion. In one, he manifests his holy character. 
And the second, he manifests is full of grace and truth. Oh, the compassion, the tenderness of Christ. And I read, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And then in verse 14, the result, a great multitude of people believe, both men and women. And then verses 15 and 16, you have where they brought their sick folk, they brought those who were uh, vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, everyone. I'm reminded of that verse at the end of chapter 6 of Mark. As many as touched him were made whole. What, irrespective of the disease, I want you to mark that. Uh, today, in, in some of these healing campaigns, they, they choose the ones they want to pray for, and they're not all healed by any means. But here, everyone was healed. They didn't even care what disease they had, whether they were demon-possessed, or whether they had the palsy or leprosy, whatever it was, they were all healed. You know, sometimes I, you'll excuse me being a little funny on this, but, you know, if Peter had been a, an American living today, he would have been advertised as a shadow healer. Remember in verse 15, they, even if the shadow of Peter would pass over them, they expected to be healed. Here you see the, the church in its pristine condition walking in fellowship with God. And in one, in one part of the passage, you have discipline of the church because of failure among his people. Then you have the compassion of God to those who are without. And the result of great many people believed on the Lord Jesus. You know, we, should, we need that today. It's quite possible for God to discipline his people today. And he does. He still loves you. And that's why he disciplines us. Please don't, don't become sour or bitter when God begins to deal with you. It's because he loves you. It's not, I know it's not a very nice thing to come under the discipline of God. None of us like to be disciplined, not even from our own fleshly fathers and mothers. We didn't like to be disciplined, but they did it because they loved us. And then on the outside, he manifested his wonderful love and grace to precious souls in their need. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. Uh, with his own people, as one party said to me, Mr. Mitchell, you know, I've had, I've had more problems and more tests and more trials since I became a Christian than I ever had before I was a Christian. Well, I said, I can understand that. From two or three grounds. Before you were a Christian, you didn't have the enemy, the enmity of the world and the flesh and the devil. Now you have. Furthermore, before you were a Christian, you were a child of wrath. You didn't come under the discipline of God. Now you're his child, and because he loves you, he disciplines you, he puts you in test. But remember, he always limits the test. He's always with you in the test. He will always bring you through the test. Why? Because you're the object of his love, of his affection, and of his devotion. Now, I just want to leave that with you today. And just pray that the Lord's richest blessing will be upon you, that as you give forth your testimony for the Savior, it'll be with the compassion and tenderness of the Lord. When it comes among God's people, don't be too quick to criticize or judge. Let, leave that with the Lord. He'll take care of it. Don't worry about that. He's our Father. And because he loves his people, he will, he will deal with them, as he will with you and with me. And starting in at verse 17, we have 
this real opposition. The reason for the opposition was because the message was accompanied by the power of God. That's always true. Whenever the Word of God is accompanied by the power of God, you're going to have opposition of one sort or another. That doesn't keep us from going on with the Lord, does it? So I just pray the Lord will richly bless you today. And please read and reread the Word of God. And remember, He has promised never to leave you, nor to forsake you. His presence is with you today. Enjoy Him today. And the Lord bless you for His name's sake. Death could not hold him Now life has a goal Jesus is coming We all will be whole The life that he gives us So rich and so free Will go on forever Eternally Praise to the sun. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. You can write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word, Radio Bible study. Life begins at Calvary.